Good morning. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my, my pleasure today uh, to, to dive into week two of our study through the book of Colossians called Greater Than. And I want to start things off this way. How many of you guys have ever heard the expression, you have one job? Anybody? You have one job. Now, one of my favorite things to do on the Internet when I don't have anything else to do when I'm looking for a time killer is I like to go and look at like fail videos or fail pictures. And one of my favorite are the, uh, the you had one job pictures. Um, all truth be told, all cards on the table, today's message almost didn't get rid- written because uh, I kind of got lost in like this, uh, this, this, this trail, this rabbit trail down a hole of you had one job pictures because I knew I wanted to use a couple for, for my sermon and then like an hour later, I'm still looking at pictures like I, I, got, I, like, I got a sermon to write, right? So I wanted to share a few of those with you, some of the ones that I found that were my favorite. Uh, so they look something like this, um, right? Like I, I, I do a little bit of construction work, so like you had one job. Just put the handle. Anyway. All right, next, uh, we got another one, right? That's pretty self-explanatory. That looks like that's at Target. That's about what I'd expect from Target. Uh, next. All right. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. That's, that's not Asia, but that's Africa, for those of you who didn't know. All right, next. See, there were, there were some of y'all that laughed at that one that didn't laugh at the one before, which says something that you know more about superheroes than geography, but we'll keep moving. Uh, next. If you can't read the thing that was supposed to be on the inside of the cookie, it says the job is well done. <laughs> it's not. You had one job. Next. All right, come on. Thirst. <laughs> it, it, it is what it is. All right. And then, yeah, so, right. So, like, these, these are the epitome of you had one job. You had, like, one thing that you were responsible for. You just you couldn't get it right. And if you ever want to waste some time, these are great. <laughs> you just, go, just Google you had one job and do images, and you'll be stuck forever, forever. <laughs> Takes forever. All right. So, now, as believers, as, as Christians, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, whether we, whether we fully know it at the time or not, and you're going to fully know it because I'm going to tell you today, whether we fully know it at the time or not, we take on an incredible responsibility. As Christ followers, we, we very, very honestly and very truly have one job. You, you have one job. And I'm going to tell you what it is in, in just, a, just a little bit. We're, we're going to get there. And we're going to do that through the context of, of the rest of the chapter 1. We started last week in, in Colossians chapter 1. We looked at um, verses 15 through 20 last week. And so t- today we're going to start. But we, we're going to get there. Like we're going we're gonna to unpack and we're going to talk about this one job. We're going to talk about the, even though it's one job, it's got a few different ways that we carry it out. We're going to talk about all that today. We, we've got some work to do to get there. Like that's where we're going to land. Like I'm telling you where we're going. That's, that's where we're going to land today with our one job as, as believers. But, but in order to do that, well, we got to walk through a, a little bit more in the book of Colossians. So I'm just, I'm going to dive right in. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Colossians chapter 1, or if you want to follow along with us on a version, or if you just want to read it, on the screen. We're going to dive in. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. And this is Paul again writing to the church at Colossae. He says this. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Now we didn't make it very far, but I got to stop. Because this is interesting to me that Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering. I don't, I don't typically rejoice 
I, I would expect Paul to say, I endure through my suffering. But no, Paul says, I, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. Now, who in the world rejoices in suffering? Who, who would ever do that? You see, there, there's a truth intrinsic here that we might not recognize until we think about it in a little bit of a different context. So let me give you, let me give you the idea, and then I'll give you an example. Um, here's the big idea if you want to write this down for, for this particular part of the verse. Joyful sacrifice is giving up something you love, like comfort or control or, or giving up anything that, that you love. Paul wrote this from prison, right? So he's in prison talking about rejoicing in his suffering. He's chained to a wall. Joyful sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love even more. There is more joy in what will be gained through my suffering than than what I would have had if I would not have suffered. Now, I have two kids. I have two little girls. And um, before we had our our first, people people would tell me, oh, man, childbirth is so beautiful. It's just, it's, it's, it's this beautiful moment in time. It's so beautiful. And then I was in the room when my wife was giving birth to my first, and I'm looking at the doctor going, when does the beautiful part start? Like, there's nothing about this, nothing about this seems beautiful to me. Like, I, I'm, waiting for the, I'm waiting for the pretty part. This is, like, is, this, is that how it's supposed to look? Like, I was, I was, I was freaking out. Um, now, now, when my daughter was born, that was beautiful. Like all of a sudden, I, I, I get it now. Boy, I didn't get it then. Like not until she came out and started crying. Then I was like, oh, it's beautiful. Not before. Like I was really. Now, now here's why. As it pertains to childbirth, moms, you guys are rock stars. I am so glad I'm a dude. So glad. Never been more glad than watching my wife give birth. No, whoo Thank you, Jesus, right? Like, I'm very excited about that. Now, now here's the thing that, that baffles me, though. Here's the thing that baffles me. Some of you moms, after you had your first one, decided to do it again. What in the world is wrong with you? Who would do that? We have two. Like, who... Who would do it the second time? Some of y'all have three and four. God help you. But do you know why? Because that's a joyful sacrifice. That you, that the thought of another life to, to pour into and to love and to be loved by and to, to parent and to raise and to, to enjoy, like the, the joy of, of what you get surpasses the suffering that you have to endure. So I believe that, that, that moms, you would tell me that it's, uh, you, you rejoice in the suffering because of, because of what the outcome is, right? Now, I want that thought to, to kind of frame where, where we're going today. That, that this life of, of, of Christians, this life that we're called to as Christ followers, it, it's going to be marked by some suffering. When you start telling people that a man came back, that a man was God, that he died, that he came back to life, and that he wants to rule their life, people, like, there's going to be some suffering Related to, to the communication of that thought and that truth and that message to other people. There's going to be some suffering. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, the world hated me 
it's going to hate you too. That the Christian life is, is marked by, by, by some suffering. It's, it's intrinsic in, in the call on our life. And so Paul, Paul goes on to make that clear. He says this in the rest of verse 24. He says, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now, we got to do a little work here because Paul just said that there was something lacking in the afflictions of Christ. And when, when you make what, what is on the surface a ludicrous statement like that, it requires some explanation. What Paul is, is not saying here is that the work of Christ on the cross was not complete. That, that we, we know that, that Jesus on the cross said, to tell us that, it is finished, it's done. Everything has been fulfilled, it's over. Like I've completed all the work that, that I came to do. And in that, the, the work of Jesus on the cross is sufficient for our salvation. We talked about that a lot last week. That, that Jesus is sufficient for the needs of salvation. Christ's work is his sacrifice was sufficient for the purposes of salvation. But there's, there's another sense of the word, though, in which if, if nobody ever hears about this work that Jesus did, then the work of salvation stops with the, with the last generation that tells the story of Christ and his sacrifice. That, that, that no one after that would be saved. Romans chapter 10 tells us that, that faith comes through hearing. That, that if people don't hear, then the work of Christ stops working. That, that salvation is still, his, his work is still sufficient for salvation, but the work of people being saved ceases. The famous reformer Martin Luther said it this way. He said, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand deaths if no one ever heard about it. And that here is what Paul is saying. Paul says, I am suffering to continue what Christ's afflictions begin. That, that what, what is lacking is that I must suffer for the church to receive the gospel. So I, I rejoice in my suffering that, that more and more may come to hear. And Paul is saying, if it takes my suffering for you to respond to his, then I'll gladly endure it. Now, if suffering is not part of your picture of what it means to be a Christ follower, then, then you've bought into a different picture that's painted by Jesus and that's painted by Scripture. Now, last week I took a little bit of a shot at, at our Jehovah Witness friends, and today I'll tell you that if you buy into the teachings of those that preach what we call or, or believe to know that the prosperity gospel, that with enough faith in Jesus that you'll always be healthy and wealthy and wise, like if, if that's your belief of, of what following Jesus gets you, then you've, you've, bought, you've bought into something that's not true. Scripture is very clear that we're, we're in a battle. Battles don't get won without bloodshed. And there are going to be times in your life where your faith is going to cost you, or it should. And if it doesn't, then I would argue that you probably don't have the faith that Paul talks about when he says, I will gladly suffer for your benefit. I'll suffer that the church might move forward. You can, you can write this down. Here's the summation of verse 24. Christ suffered to accomplish salvation. We suffer to spread salvation. It is through our suffering that the message goes forth. We, we will suffer so that the message 
can move on. Verse 25, Paul says, talking about this, this, this affliction and this suffering and the, this ministry that he's called to, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Now, we're coming back to this idea of stewardship, so I'll, I'll briefly explain it here. What Paul is saying is that I have an obligation to manage well the responsibility that God has given to me to make sure that you, the church at Colossae, to you, the church in Kannapolis, would fully know and understand the truth of God's word. That Paul says, I have a responsibility to that, and I will steward. Steward means to manage. I am to manage well the responsibility given to me to communicate to you the full truth of Scripture. Verse 26. The mystery, that's where it gets good. Everybody likes a good mystery, right? The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Now, mystery here doesn't mean riddle. This isn't like a, it's nothing secretive that, that God doesn't want us to know or Paul doesn't want us to know. But mystery here means something that has been hidden for, for generations past that has now been revealed to, to the, the modern day of, of, of Paul's day, the modern day saints. Now, this week my dad stopped by our office and he told me that one of his favorite preachers of all time always used scripture to interpret scripture. And because I want to be my dad's favorite preacher, dad, uh, I'm gonna, I want to use some scripture found in Hebrews chapter 11 to interpret what we just read in Colossians 1. Dad, this is for you. All right, so now I don't have time to read all of chapter 11. It's all good stuff. Let me give you a little bit of the context of what's going on in Hebrews chapter 11. If you want to stick your finger in Colossians and flip over with me to Hebrews. Um, we're going to get the all-star, all-time, Hall of Fame list of Jewish people. Like that's what the writer of Hebrews has given us. And so it starts with, with Abel. Abel says Abel's sacrifice was better than Cain's. And Enoch was so awesome that he didn't die like God just took him up to heaven. Then we got Noah with the whole ark thing. You guys probably heard the story. Um, Sarah, when she was 90 years old, had the faith that God told her she was going to have a son at 90. And she's like, let's do this thing. Gave birth at age 90 plus. Abraham, her husband, the son that God gave them, Abraham was willing to kill his own son to demonstrate his faith in God. And so Abraham gets called out of being an incredible man of faith. Then we got Moses. Y'all remember Moses and the story about Pharaoh in Egypt? Remember y'all in Bible school? Y'all know Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Whoa, let my people go. Remember the Louie Louie song we used to sing in VBS? So like giving some cred here to Moses, leading the people out of Egypt and away from Pharaoh, talking about the Jews that crossed the Red Sea. And then it's like the writer of Hebrews even catches this idea like, man, there's too many good people to talk about. So they said this in verse 32 and following, right? Even the writer of Hebrews is like, man, there's too many to name. Watch this. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. It's like there's more people I could talk about. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. 
Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sewn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about, and all of these, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and in caves of the earth, and all of these, though commended in their faith or through their faith, did not receive what was promised. All of these amazing people that did all this amazing stuff didn't receive the promise. Since God had provided something better for us, That apart from us, they should not be made perfect, commended for their faith, but did not receive what was promised. Imagine imagine all of the people that you admire, that you just think are like hung the moon, cream of the crop, best people you can imagine, celebrity or otherwise. And somebody telling you, there's something that you are responsible for that none of them None of them were ever responsible for. There's something bigger and better that they didn't have access to that you do. Now flip with me back to Colossians. Because this is the idea that Paul is communicating, right? There's There's this mystery that's been hidden for all these generations and that nobody knew about until now. And then talking about the people of his day that had access to the mystery, he says this in verse 27. He says, to them... God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, and he's going to give us the answer, what the the answer to the mystery is, which is Christ in you. That's mystery solved, right? This is the mystery revealed. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So so you can write this down. The the mystery's been revealed. Like mystery over, Sherlock is giving his dissertation about what has gone on. The mystery is solved. Christ is in you. You didn't get excited about that. All right, so let me me help you, right? So, So way back, remember Abraham? We talked about Abraham a minute ago. Abraham, way back in the Old Testament, way back in Genesis, God makes a promise to this man named, he's actually Abraham at the time, but we just call him Abraham because God changes his name later. So God makes a promise to Abraham that one day I am going to bless the entire world through your descendants. That through, through you I am going to make a great nation and the whole world is going to be blessed by them. And then he goes on, or the Bible goes on to tell us that, that Moses, right? We talked about Moses a little ago. Moses becomes a leader of this nation that's established by Abraham, that Abraham has some kids and they have some kids. And before you know it, Abraham has enough people under his lineage that it's called the nation of Israel, of which he is the father. Father Abraham has many sons. Right? That VBS again, right? We're taking it old school today. So Abraham has all these sons and all these daughters that make up the nation of Israel. They become enslaved to Egypt. So nation of Israel, slaves to Egypt. Moses becomes the leader a little bit later, leads them out of Egypt where they were slaves and leads them into the wilderness where God gives them the law, the Old Testament, right? First five books, we talk about the law all the time, the Old Testament law. So God gives Moses and the nation of Israel the law. 
knows they're going to break the law, so he gives them the sacrificial system of, of, of law. And then God, God dwells among them in a, like a tent, in a temple. God is located in a place, and the presence of God is in this temple, and it's mobile. Uh, they carry like the Ark of the Covenant and, and this, this tent that houses the presence of God everywhere that they go. So everywhere the nation of Israel goes, the, 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 the presence of God goes in this, in this tent with them. And they're told continually over and over and over and over that the God of Israel is going to be and is the God of the whole world. And so here's the question. Well, wait a minute. God lives in a tent. So how is this going to be the God of everyone? Like, how's this going to work? Is everybody going to come to where the tent is and worship God? Or is it going to be like, you know, these really impressive pieces of art? They're going to kind of go on alone. Like, we'll put it in North America for a little while, and then all the believers there can come and worship God, and then we'll send it down to Mexico, and then they can worship, and we'll send it over to Asia and then up into Europe. Like, we'll just, like is it just going to move around? And be like, how is this going to work? And then you fast forward, Jesus shows up, right, changes everything. Jesus shows up, goes to the cross, dies, is resurrected, ascends into heaven, sends what we know to be the Holy Spirit to seal believers, sends the Holy Spirit to live in us. Remember the mystery? Christ in you, like the, the work God in you, that's the Holy Spirit living in you. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit shows up, takes over residence inside of believers, saves and seals them. Peter preaches, 3,000 people get saved on the day of Pentecost where Peter preaches, but, but it's still kind of just a Jewish thing. Like all the people that believed in Peter's message were still Jewish. Like how is he going to be the God of the world if he's just coming to Jewish people? It isn't until over in like eight chapters in the book of Acts later, in Acts chapter 10, that we see the first Gentile get saved. It's a man by the name of Cornelius, Peter like the apostle Peter, big guy Peter, like number, number one in the disciples Peter guy. Like he gets a vision from God that he's supposed to go and preach to Cornelius. And so he goes to Cornelius who's not a Jew, the first Gentile that's ever going to get saved. Now, he's not a Jew, but he is a God-fearer, which means he, he believed and loved the Old Testament, but he didn't want to get circumcised, right? Probably because he's a grown man. And we're like, I, I might have been the same. So Peter goes to Cornelius' house, shares the gospel. Cornelius speaks in tongues. Ain't got time for that. And then the rest of his family gets saved. And then Peter is like, oh, no, a Gentile just got saved. This changes everything. It's pretty funny over in, in, in Acts chapter 15, we have what's called the, the Jerusalem Council where the church, it's funny, church leaders get together to try and decide as to whether or not it's okay that God did that, right? <laughs> it's hilarious. Like you, read the, you read the conversations like, wait a minute, is this okay? Did it really? And Peter's like, whether it's okay or not, he just did it. I was there. I saw it. God is saving Gentiles. All bets are off, right? And so it, it, this whole idea that Gentiles can be saved catches fire Paul sets out on his missionary journeys. We talked about that last week, going town to town, planting churches, preaching the gospel, getting people saved. Fast forward a few thousand years, and here you and I are sitting in the churches, a bunch of Gentiles believing in Jesus because of what happened first in Acts chapter 10 where Cornelius became a believer and it became understood that God was for the Gentiles. <laughs> Mystery solved. Mystery solved. God enters into, saves, and inhabits 
Gentiles. And all of a sudden, how God is going to be the God of the whole world becomes very clear. Because the mystery has been solved. Christ is in you. Now, this, this isn't the end goal for God. Gentiles getting saved, Christ in the first Gentiles was never, it's not like God saved Cornelius. He's like, whoo, finally, we made it. Gentiles can get saved. Everybody take it easy. It's not the end of the story. And, and this, is where, this is where your one job comes in. Verse 28, back in Colossians now, we went Hebrews and then Acts and crazy. So I, I, just, I think at some point we forget how significant the people in, in Hebrews 11 were and how, how big of a deal this is that Christ lives in you. And I, I hope that today you've seen it, that, that all of these heroes of faith that we, that we look to and we read about and we study and we try to, to mimic and model our lives after, you have something that they didn't have. In the same way that, that the Jewish believers of Paul's day didn't have it and the Gentiles of Paul day, Paul's day had it. This mystery is solved. Christ is in you. And if that doesn't floor you, if that doesn't wreck you, and that doesn't change you, then you've missed the significance of the mystery. And then in verse 28, Paul gives us some marching orders. Verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. See, I said we were coming back to this stewardship thing. Remember verse, verse 25, Paul said he was a steward. In the same way that Paul had a responsibility to those that he led, you and I have a responsibility to manage the influence that we have been entrusted with and, and to spread that and to share that and to invest that into the lives of the people that we're around. That There are people in your life that God has placed there because he desires you and your witness and your testimony and your influence to be leveraged to share about the awesomeness of God. Him we proclaim, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom. This is how you fulfill your, your job as a believer, your one job. Here, here's your one job, Christ follower. You ready? Here's your one job. Steward the mystery. You're a steward of the mystery. You're, doesn't that sound cool? I, I thought about that. I wouldn't put that on my, put on my business card. Brian Duncan, steward of the mystery. Doesn't that sound cool? You should get a business card. We should have made business cards for y'all. Like, this is the job of believers. You are to, to steward, remember, remember steward? It just means manager. You are to manage the mystery. And what's the purpose of the mystery? It's to get Christ into the world, into other people. You are a steward of the mystery. Can I, let me say it a little bit more plainly. It doesn't sound as good on a business card. But, but here's, here's your job. Christ follower, Christian, here's your job. Make Jesus more famous. That's what it means to be a steward of the mystery. You are called to make Jesus more famous where you work. You are called to make Jesus more famous in your school student. 
in your home, with your family, and with people you don't even know. You are a steward of the mystery. Your one job is to make Jesus more famous. Now, I see a lot of Christians. I see a lot of Christians that get it wrong. And I sit on my couch and look at Facebook, or I sit on my couch and I watch TV and I have this thought. You had one job. Man, but God's a God of grace. And even when we get it wrong, it's still our job. We might get it wrong today. We try again tomorrow because you're a steward of the mystery. Now, Paul gives us three ways that this gets played out, three ways that we accomplish this job that we're called to. He says we proclaim, we warn, and we teach. Number one, proclaim. Here's what proclaim means. It means to boldly, that's key, boldly tell. Proclaim doesn't sound like a whisper, though sometimes it could be. But the idea of proclaim is to, to, be, to be overt with your faith, to boldly tell people about Jesus. And there's sacrifice intrinsic in this idea that, that it is going to cost you something. You are not going to always be the most popular person when you proclaim the bold truth about Christ. It is going to make you unpopular. The world hated Christ. Sometimes it's going to hate you too. If your chief end in life is to be liked by all, then you cannot fulfill the Great Commission to be a steward of the mystery. Second thing Paul tells us to do is to warn because justice is coming. I, I want to hit this quickly. I'm, I want to make sure we get this, though. Be, be, be very clear about the mercy and the grace of God that withholds our punishment. Remember back in Genesis chapter 3, if you remember, like the whole Adam and Eve thing, and God says, you eat of that tree, you eat the fruit of that tree, surely you will die. They eat it, but then they don't die. That is God withholding justice. He had every right to kill them in the moment for their disobedience. But God withholds justice. He doesn't do away with justice. He withholds the punishment because he's a merciful God. But, but be very clear, justice Justice will come, and it is due and owed by all of us. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3. Right? So it, it, justice is coming. A few, a few chapters later, right, the, the, the kids of Aaron, Moses' brother, remember Moses, Pharaoh, Moses, like his brother Aaron, his kids messed up the sacrifice. Boom, God kills them. And Aaron's like, whoa, what happened? It's like, God's like, I told him. Justice, it came swiftly, but, but, but God is, is withholding Punishment because he's because he's merciful. But justice will come. One day you and I will give an account. And we need we can either our ability to save ourselves, or we can stand on the redemptive work of Jesus, who took our place, accepting our penalties so that we would never have to pay it, so that God could remain just while still accepting us into his eternity. Justice will come for those that don't know Jesus, and it will be painful, and it will be brutal. The picture of Jesus coming back is not, it ain't like pretty Jesus with a feathered hair. It's Jesus with a sword and blood running in the streets. It's, it's not pretty. It's war. And that day, that, that day will come. But for the time being, we, God withholds that. He's, he's merciful. He withholds. But, but justice will come. We're, we're called to, to warn and then last. We're called to teach, to teach those over whom we have influence the truth and the nature of Christ. We are to make Jesus more famous. 
because of who he is and how he saves. In what other story does the hero die for the villain? That is exactly what Jesus did for you and for me. That he has offered his life as, an, as, as a payment and a covering for ours. And we're called to, to teach that, to make much of Jesus. That, that, to, to tell everybody over whom we have influence and over anybody that will listen. Like this is our message. We're a steward of the mystery. Like this is awesome. Jesus is in me. He wants to be in you and he's awesome. It's such a better way to live because his ways are higher than ours and he's got stuff all figured out because he created it all. Like you should want to believe in the same God that I do. And not only do you get to believe in him and not only do you get to serve him, but, it, but he saves you. So that you have a promise that when justice comes, that you don't fall under the banner of wrath. Like that's amazing news. We should be, we are called as stewards of the mystery to make much of Jesus. That is the call on our life. Your one job, Christian, is to steward the mystery, to make Jesus more famous because he's worthy to be made famous. Amen? He's worthy of it. So, so here's... Here's what we do on Sundays, right? Sometimes, sometimes I beat up on you a little bit. But, but every week I hope that when we come to this place that we make much of Jesus, that I come in here, I get excited about Christ, and then I walk out of here ready to tell anybody that will listen, let me tell you about Jesus. He's awesome. There is nobody like him, no other story like his, and he wants to be part of your life too. So let me ask this, this application for today, and then I'm, I'm done. Who, who is one person? Just one. Like the whole world. Like that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the mission is the world. Let's start with one, right? We're in a year where we said our focus this year was for the one. Right? So, so who is one person? Who is one person that you know that's close to you but far from God? I, I, will you get their picture? Just see them in your, in your mind's eye right now as you think. Maybe even write their name down on your connection card or in your app. Who is one person close to you but far from God that needs access to the mystery? And how can you leverage the influence that you have in their life to share with them the truth, the nature of Christ? To warn them that justice is coming as you boldly proclaim the truth. You have them in your mind? Can you see them? Let me pray for him. Father, this morning, God, all of those that are on our hearts and our minds in this moment, God, I pray that this week will be a week of action. Father, that you would lead us to boldly proclaim and tell anybody who will listen, but God, starting with our one, that one that is close to us but far from you, God, would you give us the confidence, the boldness, to tell them about the effect that you've had on our life, God, how our lives are changed and better because of our relationship with you. And Father, we pray. We pray for soft hearts and open minds that will be receptive to the truth of your gospel, receptive to the offering of salvation through your son Jesus, that they may too become owners and stewards of the mystery. We pray all these things in the name of the one who you sent to be our Savior and our Lord, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand with us, please?